Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock along with Kirsty Miles, and we're talking about all the places that a pediatric therapist should work. Part one, we talked about home visits and daycares, and so let's just start in with part two and places where pediatric therapists should work and why. So if we move on to why should therapists work, so we've gotten home community, we've gotten daycare, now let's move on to a school or to a preschool situation. School or preschool, I think every therapist should work in to, just to know how that works. And I think one of the reasons, and Kirsty, you can give me what you think, but one of the reasons to start it off is to learn how to do an IEP or learn what an IEP is, how to basically work within an IEP and how to do the IEP paperwork. Yeah, and I think we can talk about school, preschool on up, just because once they turn three, they fall mm-hmm. under that IEP realm. So it's important to be able to differentiate the clinical medical model of therapy and how that's different from the school-based model. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you hear, as a clinician in working in a medical model, you have parents that say, oh, they're not getting what they need in school. And I disagree with that sometimes, not just to be politically correct or anything, but the two models are different. So as the parent, what you think your child needs to support their education might be what they think is the medical model, clinical model of therapy, rather than really what they need to access their education. So I think it's important to be able to differentiate the two and know what that looks like and what the delivery looks like so that you are in a better position to answer questions like that, whether you're in the clinic or the school. So really the approach in a clinical model type of situation versus an educational model, how the service delivery is different in both places. Yeah. And from a physical therapy standpoint, if a child can ambulate from point A to point B, move their belongings from point A to point B, navigate stairs between point A and point B, really they can access motor-wise their educational day. Are they maybe the most efficient? Can they do it without a walker? Maybe not. But the fact that they can have access to their education with the least restrictive of device that they're safe, mm-hmm. then that's the educational model of therapy. Now, the fact that maybe they need AFOs or they need heel cord stretching or um, they have a scoliosis, that's no longer educationally relevant. Right. And then that's more in the clin- for clinical therapy. Right. which is a different model. So, Kirsty, I think you're absolutely right about the IEP and what's educational versus clinical and where that line is. For OT, I know that I'm speaking your PT, but for OT, this happens a lot. We'll hear all the time about he has trouble, this little person or, or she has trouble with sensory issues and transitioning in and out of the classroom. Now, transitioning in out of the classroom, of course, can be something that OT works on in the school kind of situation. But I think a lot of times when you start to get into a lot of sensory issues, when is it the point that's just more clinical versus school-based? And if it's not educationally affecting them during the day or they has some strategies to be able to handle different situations during the day, then really a lot of that sensory stuff needs to be addressed clinically outside of the school day. Mm-hmm. Because then you run the risk of just taking the child out of all the educational stuff that they're doing during the day and they're there in school for school and classwork that they have to do. So a lot of times I think our role, and as a speech therapist too, my role is, okay, so can I give this child some strategies and stuff to help them if the child's having difficulty with picking out the main idea or the child 
child is having trouble with, read a question and go back in a story and find the answer to the question. Well, I'm giving them some strategies. And then if there's other collateral things around that, then it's maybe more working clinically with some stuff if there's some auditory processing stuff versus just giving them strategies. You know, there's kind of a fine line where things start to divide out. But you really, in an educational model, have to understand where can I make my impact educationally, but I want to keep the child in the class as much as possible. I don't want to pull them out all day long for therapy. They need to be in the classroom. That's, I think, the biggest crux of educational versus clinical. Well, one of the biggest things you have to learn in a classroom. And then the other thing about working in a school that's so important is it kind of goes back to our collaboration podcast. If you haven't heard that one, go back and listen. You can check out that one and a whole bunch of podcasts on the working therapist. But who do you talk to in a school? Like, who do you need to collaborate with regarding to getting the most impact with helping the child be the most successful in their day? For example, if I'm the speech therapist working in a school, I want to kind of know why wouldn't we work if a child's having trouble answering questions and picking out the main idea in a story or answering questions and finding the answers in a story. If I'm working on descriptives or I'm working on inferencing or if I'm working on sequencing or any kind of language concepts like these, why wouldn't I just use their regular textbook? You know, why do I have to pull my own stuff? Like, why wouldn't I use the science textbook or the social studies or the reading book or what lessons are they doing in school? I need to talk to the teacher. So in terms of collaborating, who do I talk to and then how do I pull that into my therapy? And if I've got two or three kids in a group, now I got to figure out how am I going to work with all of those kids to make it educationally relevant and functional and do it in a group type of session. And the only way you can learn that is in a school situation and it's valuable information. So it's great to learn. A lot of children in the school setting might need consultation for PE services just so you can go in and adapt their program a little bit so they can still be playing the same game, doing the activities that the other children are doing. They just might need it modified in a different way. And that's really where our skill and creativity comes in and being able to do that. Exactly. I think a school teaches you because also the caseloads in a school can get so humongous, but it really a school helps teach you understanding, okay, what is really educationally relevant and what I need to work on and then what really can just be done collaboratively with my input here and there. You know, I think speech has the same thing because our caseloads can just grow so humongous. But if I've taught the child some strategies and I'm working with the teacher with some strategies and I've got some visual cues in the classroom or some visual aids or whatever it is that is helping that child, then when can I start to pull back my direct therapy services and start doing maybe collaborative or seeing them in the classroom and then sort of backing off a little bit? I think that's always key, especially as a child moves through school. How do you best support them? And that changes and a school's the only place you can learn it. Also on that note, I know sometimes in the schools, people say, oh, well, they get to fifth grade. If they can't get their whatever sound it is, we just discharge them automatically. I'm not sort of down with the one size fits all, you know? I mean, if a child's still working on an R in the fifth grade, and I've been working on with since kindergarten, I need to really look in the mirror and think, okay, what is it I've done wrong here? I've got to figure out why isn't this child getting this? Is there an anatomy problem? Because in five years, I should be able to help this child be able to get this R. And so I don't want to just automatically say, okay, everybody who doesn't have their R in the fifth grade, you'll never get it and you're just discharged. I don't love that so much. Anyway, that's just my little two cents and aside. But basically in the schools, it, it makes you really think if you've got this thing 
same kids working on the same thing year after year after year, it makes you just think, okay, let me think outside this box. How can I do this differently? Have I told the pot roast story? So I think it's appropriate right now, so I'm going to tell it. Okay, so, you know, this lady is she's cooking a pot roast, and she cuts both ends off the end of her pot roast to put in the pan. Her mom's there. It's like Sunday after church. The daughter says to the mom, hey, mom, I cut the ends off my pot roast because I've seen that's how you do it. Why do we cut the ends off the pot roast? And the mom says, I don't know why you do it. I did it because my pot was too small. Kind of it's a thing of like, well, that's how we've always done it, so let's just do it this way. So if you're working on the same goals year after year after year with the same kind of kiddos, you know, think about the pot roast. Like, this is how we've always done it. This is what I'm doing. You got to really start to think about, okay, how can I be creative? How can I do this differently in the schools? And I know it's really hard because your caseload is so humongous. There's all that IEP paperwork. It's a no joke situation sometimes with the caseloads, but how can I do this differently to be more effective and help get these kids discharged so that they don't need me anymore because they have truly met their goals or they've got strategies so that they don't need me on a regular basis. That's to me is the whole goal of a speech therapy in the schools, not just to work on something because they don't score well on it on a test. If they don't do well, I give them the self and they're having trouble with following directions or they're having trouble memorizing or remembering different concepts and stuff like that, then how does that impact them educationally in the classroom? And that's where I want to work, not just because they miss certain things on the self, but I take that information that I learned from the standardized test. How does it impact in the classroom? What happens in the classroom? How does that look? And then how do I best work on that? That's pretty cool, fun stuff, but it really causes you to think outside the box, to push yourself, to think about each child as an end individual and not just say like, okay, well, he's in this group, let's roll and we're going to do it that way the whole year. You know, I mean, kids change as the year goes on, your group should change too. So in that educational model though, and then when's it clinical versus educational, you learn that in the schools and learn how to do an IEP and then how to navigate that. That's really important and how to manage that. Time management, I think is huge in the schools, huge skill that you learn that is so key and how to manage a group, you know, how to see a group of two, how to group see a group of three so that you're really providing therapy services that help that child get rid of you as a speech therapist to be able to be discharged and you're not just doing crowd control. The only place you can learn that is in the schools. Which games do you play in the schools so that you can get it out quickly, do it effectively, efficiently so you're not just playing the game but you're targeting something and the game is just the way that you keep them motivated. You learn that in the schools. You also learn how to effectively communicate with the parents in the schools because they're are never there. So the best way to communicate with parents and to get information back, you learn that in the schools. So the other place we feel like a therapist should definitely work is in the clinic doing outpatient clinical therapy services. And so why do we think that, Kirsty? Your clinic is your medical model of therapy. It's where you have to understand insurance billing, AMA versus Medicaid billing, what you have authorization for. Can you do an eval? Is it time to change the plan of care because there's not an IEP dictating, hey, it's the annual, we need your report, we need new goals and the system. There's nobody telling you to do that. So now this is your patient. This is your time to make the plan. There's no other schedule you're on besides you, the patient, and the parent. It's a medical model of therapy. You get to do things medically and clinically that doesn't have to be educationally relevant. Or maybe it does because that's what the child needs more assistance with. Not that you're doing what they're doing in the school, but to help support that. But you can do more. It broadens your skill set. I think you do have a certain amount of freedom 
and the clinic. You're not dictated, like if the child doesn't score two standard deviations below the norm. A lot of times people say to me, oh, they didn't qualify for services. Well, in a clinic, what does that mean they didn't qualify? There isn't a qualification thing. Like if you can justify the need for the services, the child doesn't have to score a certain score on a test and say, I couldn't get through the whole test. Well, it doesn't mean I can't put the child in therapy as long as I can justify the need for it. So there is a little bit more flexibility and freedom, I think, than maybe in other places somebody, a therapist might would have. This will make you laugh. Since July or August that I've been directly supervising a PT assistant. So I've been doing the avows to help fill her schedule and all the updated plan of cares with some help from some other people. But I have not once used a standardized test and that makes me so happy. Because <laughs> if I could, I'd throw them all out. Knowing you, that doesn't make me a bit surprised. But I think it's important for people to hear because, you know, at a clinic you do have a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Ultimately, it ends with you. Whether that child is going to get services is how you justify it. So Mm -hmm. if they scored 100 on the Peabody and there's still motor concerns and that parent still is presenting with concerns, well, throw the scores out and do something else. But I think also the level of accountability in the clinic is very in your face, meaning every day that that patient and the family comes in to see me, they are holding me accountable and I'm holding them accountable. And so it's very transparent and it's very, you and me, we're working on the same thing. Here's what we're doing. Here's how's it going. And that goal plan is set, but it can be changed or modified as things change. And you do have the flexibility or freedom, but at the same time, you're held very accountable because because they're expecting you to help their person get better quickly, you know. You do have more flexibility and freedom, but you do have a level of accountability that's in your face. I don't know how else to say it better than that. We see this. We see when we have their primary background has been in a school and then they come into clinic setting and it's like, whoa. Yeah, this can be intense. <laughs> this is nothing I've ever seen before because there's different rules insurance rules. Every insurance has different rules. So there's a lot to learn just by switching to a medical model. And you do have the responsibility to know those. We've, again, Kirsten, I've heard, we don't do the codes or we don't have to know the coding. Well, we do. do. Because we live in a gatekeeping insurance type of world, a prior authorization world. That's the way it is now for insurances. And you do have to know. And it just goes back to, we spend so much time really, really honing in on this with people because it all goes back to why are you doing what you're doing? So understanding the insurance rules, understanding what the code mean for billing. We're not just billing, hey, I did treatment or an IEP at the school setting. We're now billing CPT codes. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really important to be able to understand all that goes into the medical model of therapy. And at the end of the day, you have to have insurance off. Yes. And how to understand those rules and then how to manage your time so that your daily notes are done daily, your vows are done within the time frame they're due because your notes and your evaluations are sent back to the insurance company and to the referring physician regularly mm-hmm. because they're asking for those. So you have to be up to date on your paperwork and how to manage your time is different than the way you might manage it for a home visit or for a school. You have to learn how to do that in the clinic. Also, how to move your body and where you are based on what the child needs is important. And you learn that in a clinic because you're not necessarily in the same room all day because that child might need different things. And so you have the flexibility and freedom to work in a small room, in a large room, in a gym and, and whatever. And you have, you know, more of quote unquote fancy equipment to work with, which is nice. But where you work and how you use that is dependent upon what the child needs, not just what you want to do because it's not about us. And my favorite part to kind of bring it all around mm-hmm. is when you've had all of those different experiences 
experiences and worked in all those settings. Now, when you're a clinic therapist and working under the medical model and you're using all these fancy tools and equipment in the clinic setting, you can now reference back to your home visits Mm -hmm. or your time that you spent on the playground and say, I know that this swing, not everybody can go buy this swing or, you know, it's out of the whatever medical catalog. So it's ridiculously expensive priced (laughs) crazy but you've done something similar in the home or you've done something similar on the playground because you've had to tap into that creativity when you didn't have that fancy piece of equipment and now you just became a better therapist so you know how to modify and how to change it and how to be like okay so this is what we have in the clinic and this is fancy fancy thing but same thing can be achieved by doing this yep because ultimately it's what's going to happen every day at home it's just tools you've got in your toolbox it makes you a more well-rounded therapist with a bigger and larger perspective on the whole gamut of places a child can be. And you can work those different ways. We interview a lot at PDT because we're always looking for the right people, the right fit, the right who, because we care about our patients and what we're doing in therapy. And we do hear people that work in a school setting and then they have to work at another practice that's private outpatient therapy. Well, the beautiful thing about what we do at PDT is we get to do it all under one roof, one entity, Mm -hmm. pediatric developmental therapy. And I think that that's one of the things that we have that a lot of people don't offer. Yeah, I think so too. And an opportunity to sort of pick and choose what you want for yourself for your career so that you can get that experience and have people provide you with help and resources and doing that so that you're not trying to figure it out without the proper training or mentorship or whatever that looks like. Thanks for listening today to Kirstie and I and how on all the places that we think a pediatric therapist should work. We're pretty opinionated about this and we're backing it up with our opinions. But it's important to be well-rounded. It is. Yes, it is. It's best for your patient. So catch other podcasts on theworkingtherapist.com. We've got a bunch up there on all kinds of topics. So catch those. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher. And we'll, we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 